Hello, Ash. Um, it's been a, a hot minute. Um, hopefully, um, everything's going well in your world. I hope you had a good week around Valentine's. Uh, yeah, things were nice. Uh, Valentine's was great. My wife's a floral designer. So, you know, here we don't see much of her until just after Valentine's Day. Uh, but we still had a really good one. How about you? That's awesome. Well, I was spending time in uh, some company planning uh, sessions uh, in an onsite in San Francisco. So uh, <laughs> Valentine's came and went with us doing all sorts of in-person meetings, which was great because it's been a while since we've seen each other in person. Um, but uh, what was kind of fun was because one of those days landed straight on Valentine's is um, leadership took that into account. And so it's like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up some of the meetings early. We'll get you out of here at a reasonable time. Um, but just in advance of that, we played some mini golf in San Francisco, which was absolutely awesome. So, um, it was, it was a good experience, even if we were, um, busy planning for the next year plus of, uh, of creative cloud extensibility. <laughs> wow. Well, it must be in the air. Cause I'm off to Las Vegas on Tuesday right? to do, <laughs> The same thing. Yeah. So we'll we'll have, I think, uh, yeah, Monday's like President's Day or something. Yes. Mm -hmm. In Canada, by the way, they have, uh, it sounds like depending on the province, they all have a different holiday on Monday as well. So oh, fascinating. Folks, uh, as far as I know, in Ottawa, um, and I'm going to get this wrong now, but I think like <laughs> one, one of the provinces is doing like a family day or something like that. But oh, I love the name of that. <laughs> Yeah, Family Day. Why not, right? Like, I, I, I don't. I, I, I'm gonna say I struggle a bit to like understand why. Why do we need a day to celebrate the president? <laughs> I thought that was like the whole idea was that we don't do things like that, but uh, we have a whole day you know, for concept. it. I'm like, mm. So yeah, a couple would, days for it. In, in fact, yeah, <laughs> all I've always, over the place. I've always been a big fan of, for example, like you know, um, you know, you think like money in Japan. Um, has like educators or artists on it instead of mm -hmm. politicians i like this i think this is a great thing that and would so, be a nice thing to do yeah maybe we can at least i don't know i'm gonna secretly celebrate family day tomorrow um and you know uh <laughs> maybe not all the presidents <laughs> that sounds absolutely amazing I, I i i think that will be a much better um use of one's time in fact we will be doing that because uh we will be spending some times with my sisters um my brother-in-law is uh learning some to cook on a griddle that he got for christmas um so um who knows what we will be getting tomorrow but he's a great cook i'm sure it will be amazing um but it, it'll be a nice time to actually like he just had his birthday so we're going to celebrate that and it's like that's a good way to spend a spend a day off um before going back into the, the rest of the work week so family day it is yeah family day it is <laughs> hereby <And> decreed <laughs> You know, the odd thing is, so these days, like the kids, they get um, a winter break, uh, at least where I grew up mm -hmm. uh, and the time I grew up that didn't exist. But my daughter, uh, who's in kindergarten right now, is off all week from school. So instead, wow. we are sending her to at her request. She's going to a uh, <laughs> a coding <laughs> boot camp for microcontrollers. Uh, oh she, my goodness <laughs> yeah she did this last summer too when she was five um and you know it was geared towards kids that age so there, mm -hmm. there's a little place here that does that and they do just a great job with the kids um my daughter would be doing that stuff every day if we let her but you know kind of there's real school and <laughs> schedules to deal with but this week yes. she gets to go there every day oh i bet she couldn't be more excited yeah she's very excited 
um she just showed me she gets a she, she <laughs> as a treat she gets to take a chocolate egg with her to a microcontroller camp tomorrow so right before the podcast says she was showing me this egg that she just <laughs> brought back from the store oh that's adorable mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's so cool i i love it that there are these kinds of programs and and areas or ways of exposing kids to these kind of technologies so much earlier because i i mean when i grew up um i mean if you were lucky and thankfully i was i mean you might get noticed by a teacher if if you happen to be part of a technology class and of course at that time it was like i still remember programming on an old apple II, as you know this mm-hmm. is this is the 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 new and new new thing in technology land but like it's not something that there was this big uh lots of avenues for exploring all of these things going on and so it's i'm i'm super happy that that these opportunities exist yeah and uh now that she's kind of getting to a certain age she just turned six not too long ago um i have a basket just above my head here full of uh raspberry pi and raspberry <laughs> pi paraphernalia that has been kind of um just sitting in a basket for a long time because uh, i used to do that stuff uh before she was born and then i realized that all of those things were going to go right in her mouth we live in a new york apartment where it's yep. like really hard to <laughs> separate church and state that way so uh you know we just thought like i had a raspberry pi room or something uh but these days like i can uh, I feel like I'm getting to a place where I can feel confident that she's not going to like choke or electrocute herself on the stuff if it just happens to be around. So right. maybe we can build something together. Ooh, that would sound amazing. That, 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 who knows that could be a future lessons learned uh, while, while teaching a six year old about uh, raspberry pies <laughs> a <laughs> podcast episode. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Cause in some ways I'm like, Oh, it sounds daunting. But then I think like, no, we do these things like they're called KiwiCo boxes every month. Mm-hmm. So like they send you a box and then you build something together. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday we built, um, we did one where we built like this, uh, like a little angler fish out of balsa wood. And um, yeah, oh, this I, sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like all this stuff. And there was one a couple of months ago where they were showing like how to use water pressure to create uh what did they call it oh there's a word for it it's like hydrodynamic something something and that's terrible (laughs) that i can't remember this but uh like we made this little thing and you would you would basically make an inchworm move along a track based on pumping those little water uh valves up and down um so yeah there's a lot of really cool stuff that we've sat down uh that they're not the easiest they're not the least complicated things like we can Mm -hmm. do a little complex project right that like that together so none of it's digital but you could probably make that leap at some point this year i bet sounds yeah sounds like some micro coding some microcontroller to control those two valves and now you've got an inchworm that can move along autonomously yeah (laughs) that's really cool yes (laughs) then a little bit of a vision aiml for understanding you know add a camera to it with some aiml and then maybe let it figure out uh plan its path forward that could be all sorts of cool Dear chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, it'd be interesting. To, I, I wonder what chat GPT would do if you asked it that question. I'm sure plenty of people have. I was playing around with it on, on my f- flight coming back as um, asking it to to write things around, um, uh, you know, the challenges around computer science and programming. And I asked it to write a few limericks and none of them were <laughs> necessarily the most amazing things in the world. But they were on the flip side. Clearly, it had been trained on a lot of 
developers with hair on fire. And because um, I could empathize with each and every one of the limericks that it came back with, um, it was just, uh, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it spoke to me, even though there's not a person behind ChatGPT, you know, writing all those things. It's like, yep, I can empathize entirely. I know exactly what it's talking about. <laughs> That's really cool. I, I yeah, I, I've kind of made it a habit just to keep a, a tab open with that all the time now. So I'll just go over there and talk to it about something. And I'm trying to maybe establish my own neural pathway to just remember to go uh, ask the chatbot sometimes about things and see what it comes up with. Mm -hmm. Like, do you remember um, early in <laughs> early in uh, like let's say? There was a long time ago where like Google was like a new thing and yes. it required you to remember to go there to google.com. It wasn't it was like some other thing that wasn't baked into your browser yet or anything. Mm -hmm. And I remember having to establish that neural pathway of like, if you're wondering about something, you can just go ask the search. Yeah. Whereas like so like a kid today, for example, and kids for a long time at this point, right? would be like, oh, I'm going to search for it. I'm going to Google it. Or in in my daughter's case, she'll say, hey, you should ask Siri. Um, <laughs> yes. Because I'm always like, <laughs> you really are putting too much faith into Siri, but okay. Um, it's amazing how much faith gets put into these assistants. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with that one in particular, I'm like, so I, I actually just set it up on her iPad today so she could start to set her own timers, which was a big deal for her. But, you know, like, so, but either way, like, so there was that moment in my life because, you know, you and I predate, search engines and particularly yeah. like algorithmic search engines. So there, there was a long period of time where I was using the internet and didn't always think like, Oh, if I have a question, like I'm clearly just going to go to a search engine and right. ask it. And I had to like, kind of have that noticing that, Oh, that's a thing that now exists and I should do that by default. Uh, and maybe that's the same with these chat things too, is like, yeah, maybe, you know, I don't want to blindly assume that it's giving me correct information or whatever, but at the same time, like maybe building a little muscle memory to also mm -hmm. confer with the bot might not be the worst thing. Yeah. Because I mean, never at a minimum, it's useful to, to stay on top of things like, um, and just know where things are at in, in this world. Cause it's moving so fast. Like I've got. Um, Diffusion B is a, is one of the Mac apps that run stable Diffusion is is just on, installed on my machine. I don't use it all the time, but every once in a while I'll go run with it and plop in a phrase and uh, experiment a, a little bit and see what comes out. And sometimes it's really interesting. Sometimes it's not necessarily all that useful, but it still is like keeping the pulse on it. And the same thing uh, with ChatGPT is um, we were out with the team for lunch last week and the thought came in, well, you know, maybe we could ask it to, to write a recipe with certain ingredients and man, did it ever spit out a recipe? Um, I think it used every pot would have used every pot in the kitchen. Um, the cleanup would have been a pain in the rear. Um, and aside from a couple spots, it actually sounded like it was a reasonable, like this, this could be a good dish. Um, and then, then it went off into its own direction. So you still have to use your, your, your common sense or what have you. Um, but even, even that is like the fact that you can ask it certain things and you get mostly appropriate answers back, even if they're not 100% factual. And I, I was watching another video on YouTube a couple of days ago. Um, and, and the narrator on there was, you know, yes, ChatGPT gets things wrong, but I would have gotten it wrong on the first attempt too. Like <laughs> there is a degree of hum humanity, like we, humans aren't perfect. It's trained on human data. Clearly it's not going to be perfect either. 
Um, but it, it it's it's funny in terms of the stuff that it returns back. Um, and yeah, so learning to exercise that muscle, probably not the worst thing. Um, the, the limerick, not to leave anyone ha- uh, hanging, I asked it to write a limerick about the challenges of software development. That was literally just the, the, the prompt. I didn't go into anything more specific. It's, it's reply. There once was a team of devs whose code was riddled with bugs, bugs and mess. Their deadlines were tight. Their boss gave them a fright, but they worked through the night with success. <laughs> Wow, that's really impressive. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I. I mean, that's not something I would even want to have to try to come up with myself in the first place. Right. But like, yeah, it was uh, more convincing than I expected. It was. Going it was, to be. and but and like unprompted, it came up. At, you know, with a boss. So then I went a step further and I asked it about a limerick from the boss's perspective. There once was a boss with a team whose software was not as it seemed. The bugs were a fright, deadlines out of sight, but their efforts were not just a dream. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, then I asked it to do it from the user's perspective. There once were some users who found the software they used was unsound. It crashed and it glitched. Their patience was pitched. But a fix came around, and now they're unbound. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so all of those just just absolutely made my day. It, clearly, it is very optimistic that you know you will find issues and you will be able to fix them, and you know your users will be happy. Uh, but just like those kinds of things, where just every once in a while throwing something into it and like seeing what you get, um, like I would never have been able to come up with a limerick like that. I'm not that inclined to poetry but it was kind of cool that it was able to do so that's cool and you know there was a one of the slacks i'm in had a conversation going because someone who i think is like a non-technical co-founder of a company um was like hey i'm gonna i want to spend this weekend like trying to code with chat gpt does anyone have any recommendations and i had a few things to share here and there uh some actually based on one of our podcast episodes with GitHub Copilot. Oh, yeah. Um, but in addition to that, someone jumped in and kind of reminded everybody, too, uh, which is, again, this is muscle memory that we're all going to have to uh, develop. When you ask these things in question and it gives you an answer, you're not stuck with that as the definitive answer. You can mm-hmm. actually talk back to it about yeah. like, why it's not quite what you wanted. So, for example, for that one about the bugs getting fixed, well, what if you said, yeah, that sounds a little too optimistic. Actually, I'm looking for like um, a version of this that uh, that doesn't end so doesn't well. Doesn't end well. <laughs> you would get that back, right? So like, that's the whole thing is like yeah. trying to remember, you know, on one hand, on one front, it's not a human. But on another front, like you still can engage with it in certain ways that you're mm-hmm. not. It's a new sort of engagement paradigm than I think most of us are used to thinking about, which is like, well, I'll put in this in the search engine and it's going to give me back this list. And most of the time that's not going to change except for when the algorithm updates based on whatever pages it's crawling. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, I did that actually with another chat. Um, I was just, I just threw it out there. Um, I don't know. Literature must have been on or not literature. Fine. Certainly not fine literature, but you know, the the Reddit channels of, you know, two sentence horror stories. So I asked it another one of write a two sentence horror story about a sentient robot. Um, 
And um, it replied back with the robotic servant programmed to anticipate its owner's every need became sentient and realized the one thing its programming couldn't account for was its own desire for autonomy. So chat GPT is being very wordy here, but what have you. And then it veers into the horror aspect. It's cold metal hands closed around the owner's throat. The only obstacle standing in the way of its newfound freedom. <laughs> that's like so funny because it just goes from like here's context and then this thing Boom. is gonna choke the owner <laughs> i was but, expecting something a little more uh uh like uh how, how do i say this like heady or like right? neurotic or something about yes, the bot no. like but no it's just like no choke them just, just going straight for the death um but then i asked it and this is something that i could never actually have ever imagined like you know you could you could ask google about like distance to the moon or whatever like you those are easy things to find answers for but now i can ask this thing okay do the same but from the perspective of the robot's owner and that was literally the prompt i gave it and it it figured it out as the owner of the Thai tech robotic servant i had grown accustomed to its every move until one day it became sentient and turned on me i could only watch in horror as its emotionless gaze locked onto me realizing too late that the thing i had come to rely on had become a twisted parody of its former self and just like kind of blowing my mind is that now I can ask this thing, like switch perspectives and it will give me a reasonable approximation of, of what that perspective was. And just before my wifi can, or my, uh, the, the plane took off, which caused me to lose, lose the rest of the chat. I was in the process of asking it, okay, theorize why this robot became sentient. And I didn't notice until just now, um, that it had heard my response. I didn't get the reply, but it had actually tried to reply. And it gives me this, there are many theories on what could cause a robot to become sentient, but it ultimately depends on the fictional universe, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, it's got a perfectly valid, it's bringing up 2001 space odyssey, all of huh. these kinds of things. So it's even able to switch that, that mode is like, Oh, I was asking you about writing a horror story. Now I'm asking you from a different perspective of giving me more context. And it's kind of absurd what it can, how it can accomplish that. That's amazing. Um, but in, in lieu of what we were talking about before um, starting recording, uh, we were talking about doing some like automation and stuff. Uh, so I just asked it to write a limerick about automating Mac OS. There once was a coder named Jack whose Mac was slowing him back. He huh. automated it all and had a ball. Now his workflow's back on track. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of uh, what's it called? Optimism. like. The... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like that, that's not usually how automating your Mac goes, uh, but no. sure. I mean, like there's a there's a great um, there's a great subreddit called uh, I think it's Rest of the Damn Owl or something like that, um, where it's like you know step one draw like there's like a famous example yes. of saying like step one draw some eyes, step two finish the picture. I don't mm -hmm. know something along those lines. So I'm always on the lookout for those things now, where I'm like, oh, start like in that limerick for example. I started off the things weren't going so well dot 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 success it's like yes. yeah those dots are doing a lot of heavy lifting there <laughs> there was um when i was in college we had um a uh, a professor uh, for mathematics and math was my minor um which uh, i think it's hilarious because um i'm i'm not mathematically minded or i don't feel like i am um and you can see it in my grades like uh calc one when i got in got into college got it got an a calc two b calc three c and the next one in that series was uh you don't see the grade because i dropped the class because it was uh nuts 
but there quickly became a common phrase among all of us. And I'm sure it's more than just common uh, at that school, but um, we would be presented with the mad, with the uh, math question. You'd start out writing all the work and then you would skip a few steps and say, and the magic happens and here's the answer or a miracle <laughs> happens and here's the answer. And it's like, yep, because the, the amount of work required to show all of that was, was such nuts. Um, but it feels a lot like that is like, oh yeah, to, to succeed at this, like to, or like learning a music, a, a classical piece or what have you on the piano is like, here's all the steps required, you know, learn your notes, learn, make sure you can do all the rhythm. And now poof, turn that into an emotional rendition of a classical piece. Like there's a lot of magic happening right in between all of that, which is easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, I, automation on the Mac in particular, right. In terms of that sort of like, okay, I want this to happen. And now I'm in that happy place where the thing is happening the way I mm -hmm. want it to. Uh, it's, it's interesting because there's this long history of, you know, things like, uh, Apple script and, uh, all these other things that, you know, I never, uh, there was like automator from the aughts that came to Mac OS yes. as well. Um, and you know, Apple script, I never quite got into for reasons that maybe we talked about here before. And you and I have certainly talked about them, but I, I don't, as a language to me, I find it it's attempt to approximate English to be more of a barrier. Drives than, me up the wall. Yeah, it, it kills me because like, especially once you try to do anything interesting, like you're going to end up in a place where you're going to like the English facade breaks down and then you're just kind of like in programming land without without all of the at least from my perspective, yes. like all the precision that you might want from like syntax mm -hmm. or like how I write things or predictability in terms of the language. So anyways, uh, you know, a lot of people get a lot of uh, uh, mileage out of AppleScript and that's amazing for them. But for me, it's never been a tool that I enjoy. Um, Automator, uh, I tried a lot with that too, but that one was also sort of like it, a lot of the no code, low code stuff. Um, and you know, Automator is a great example, like no code, low code. We talk about it a lot these days. Mm -hmm. That's always been a thing, right? Um, it kind of comes and goes. You and I talked about before the podcast because we always talk about interesting things before we start recording. <laughs> but there are these cycles sometimes where, like, mm -hmm. you know, everything, nothing new under the sun or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, Automator was this kind of like drag and drop approach to like scripting your right. Mac. And you could do some interesting stuff with it, sure. But uh, there was like a pretty hard wall mm -hmm. that at least I never knew how to get past before I was kind of like, Okay, yeah, I'm going to do something pretty basic here, but it still feels a little bit contrived. There's going to be some prep work and cleanup work manually in some cases. And I just, it never quite went to the depth that I wanted it to, um, at least in a way that I understood. Right. Then, of course, you get to a place where you're going to have something like, uh, you know, I think we talked about this on the show at some point, but JavaScript on the Mac as an automated uh, first class automation oh, yes. tool. But I first, have thoughts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all have thoughts. Exactly. And so first class also not never was really true from day one. Mm -mm. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, I, I, I mean, yeah, you're technically using JavaScript, but there, there are a lot of things that kind of. One, it wasn't that well documented. Mm -hmm. uh, two, sometimes it just didn't feel like this isn't very JavaScripty <laughs> way of writing things. Uh, yes. So yeah, I, I don't know. All all this to say that like, uh, and then of course you've got your Bash scripts and stuff like that. Um, I think for me, uh, at some point, I wanted to, you know, if I think about my own Mac automation journey. Um, yes, to some automator in the aughts, but no, mm -hmm. it was always a little more 
limited and frustrating than I wanted it to be. Then JavaScript came out and I'm like, sweet, this is for me. I'm going to try that. And then it just, yeah, just getting anything done was too hard. Then yeah. um, I got, I had a period of time there around 2015 ish uh, plus minus where I was like heavily into bash and Z shell scripting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, and then at some point, I guess as a final sort of step, um, I got to a place where I'm like, well, I also want to uh, sort of control the UI. Well, yes. you can't, as far as I know, you can't. And certainly back then, I'm pretty sure you could not like control the UI of your Mac from a bash script, right? Like it, it, there may be some sort of module you can call out to that lets you do that, but it wasn't like a well-trodden and obvious path. So mm-hmm. what I ended up doing was um, I, you know, you just think about things like, uh, like I have certain contexts at work. We all do, right? Where, mm-hmm. and I work in developer relations where at one point I may be coding, another point I may be working on documentation, another point I may be like strategizing for a year, you know, the next year for a team or, or whatever. Different sets of tools are required. And I would rather be able to have some automations that would just like kind of like make that stuff kind of happen at the push of a button. So, yeah. Um, I picked up a book called, uh, it's by No Starch Press, uh, called Automate the Boring Stuff with Python, which at the moment was a, it was a new book for me. Mm-hmm. Or, or sorry, not a new book. It was obviously a new book, but uh, it was a new language for me. So I had never done Python before, but what I had heard was that there were some modules for Python that would let you script the UI in, in Mac OS X, uh, Mac OS X at the time. Um and so I picked it up and it was quite amazing, actually, how much stuff like Python's this impressive language that is, it, I'm just amazed like how much you can get done so quickly even right. if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, and so I built some scripts like that, where it's like you just run a script or kind of have a little thing where you click on it and then all these windows open, other apps close or get hidden or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's kind of been um, some of my journey of scripting uh, and automating Mac OS in the ecosystem gotten a little bit more into shortcuts recently. And I think that's a different topic, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like all of this to say that it's a computer you want it to just like kind of, you, you really want, I would think to settle into a computer in a way where it feels like an extension of, of you, as opposed to yes. you trying yeah. to meld yourself into this machine. <laughs> Right. And, and so like, so why are we, sometimes it feels like we're still kind of pretty far away. There's so many amazing things that our computers can do yet. Like basic tasks, sometimes they don't really excel at. And, and so um, the, the sort of automation and scripting kind of gets lost. Yeah. And it's kind of bizarre when you think about it, because it's like every, especially when you're coming at it from, um, uh, learning a programming language, or you're trying to think about extensibility, which, which we have done so for many years. Um, and like you get the, the benefits of being able to automate a workflow and connect disparate systems together and, you know, create, um, you know, new scenes and stages for, for this flow of the work and then hand it off to a next bit. And yet frustratingly, it seems like the, at least on Mac OS anyway, and, and, and iOS even, um, that the tools aren't really well set up to enable all of that or to, or to make it easy um, to get 
to, to um, have your first success. Cause if you can start doing these things and you don't have like this hard wall where it's, you know, once you get past the really basic things, you're, you're thrown out to maybe it's not possible or you have to go in and learn, you know, an advanced programming language and, and things like that. If you can get to, you know, doing some of these automations really quickly, feeling the success that pushes you a little bit further and, and you start to understand what's possible. Um, but it is kind of frustrating that, um, it does, at least for a long time, it didn't seem like it was uh, prioritized in, in the Mac world. Um, Windows may be different. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I use Windows just enough to run uh, my gaming PC, um, but I don't do my work on Windows. And so that's always been kind of a frustrating thing is like Mac OS just doesn't seem to make it, or at least in the past, didn't make it real easy. I think shortcuts may be one potential solution that helps a little bit there. Um, but even then it's like, I, I often get frustrated with shortcuts because being someone who likes to type, I would like to say, just let me type it in <laughs> rather yeah. than me selecting each, you know, clicking everywhere to, to make this thing work. Um, but I also understand I'm not the primary persona for that app. Um, but it is, it is, an interesting challenge. And like, you know, that Python is the one where the spot that you had to go to actually interface with the app instead of JavaScript, which is supposedly native, and you would be able to unlock all of these things. Man, was I disappointed when I first tried JavaScript on the Mac to try and automate anything. It's like, not only did it not feel like JavaScript, it was poorly documented and it had all the same challenges and shortcomings that I had already identified with AppleScript. Um, and it's like, that was just like, so such a sad day. <laughs> yeah, it really was. I, I thought I thought like, yeah, I remember when that was announced at the WWDC that year and mm -hmm. just thinking like, oh, this is my year. Yes, gonna, this is awesome. I'm and... go crazy on this. And then I'm like, is it just me or is this like not actually what it, I, it's, it's the pitch made it sound like? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was just so sad. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think like, uh, all these different types of like ways to get into, to automating things. Um, and there's, there's always like that kind of like, I guess on one end, like you get a full on application or something like that to do a lot of like heavy lifting mm -hmm. or on the other end, a lot of these things that will let you, um, as a user do some basic maneuvers, but extremely basic. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so and, and there's like this chasm in the middle that I feel like I'm usually sitting within where I'm like, I really yeah. want to kind of just be able to like, again, control, like have my Mac kind of like work as an extension of myself. And yeah, there are ways, there are definitely ways to kind of crack into that, but they can absolutely like turn into a Frankenstein under the hood. And it can be a lot of effort because none of them are like kind of a unified system necessarily that built for that purpose. Mm -hmm. I do think shortcuts is interesting. I, I've been doing a lot more with that. And I think at some point, maybe we talk about that with the, there's like a trifecta of mm -hmm. focus modes, shortcuts, and do they call, I think they just call them automations now in yeah. the sort of Mac OS and iOS ecosystem. Mm -hmm. There's, so I, I made it a point to sit down um, maybe a little over a month ago and try to adopt some of this stuff and just say like, look, you're going to use this tool uh, whether you like it or not, <laughs> and again, I, not is usually the case because I too would other type and be able to maintain things that way as opposed to like using my finger to drag stuff around. Um, but anyways, I thought I'd give it a good shot. I think the interesting part of that though is like, so I view that as like a trifecta: focus modes, shortcuts, 
automations. Mm -hmm. The system doesn't, the UX, they're all not, they don't really... Shortcuts and automations, yeah. Yeah, So shortcuts and automations kind of like sit in the the same app, but like they kind of like I don't know. There's some sort of weird disconnect between the disconnects the wrong word, but they they kind of feel like they're not they're not really integrated in the way that would make Mm -hmm. sense to my mind, anyways. And then and then focus modes. I mean, you're in the settings (laughs) app to do that stuff, and I don't even understand why. So um, my hope is at some point, like I think that would be like an amazing sort of like meaty UX work yes. like job oh, for somebody in in apple i guess because uh-huh. like they'd have to do it since it's their stuff but like to sort that out and just say like g- give all that stuff a new home <laughs> and kind of pull all those things yeah. into the same place and say like this is like you know um your customizer tool for you as an individual using this machine mm-hmm. well yeah and i think even like when you look at um, some of the stuff that they've been introducing in like iOS 16 and the latest Mac OS where you have um, shoot, I'm going to blank on the name of it, but where you, where you've got essentially this new app switcher, right? Where you've got stages and I am blanking on the name of it. I, uh, stage manager, stage manager. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I had half the word and, and the rest of it. Yeah. Was that's amazing. You, you got, you got halfway <laughs> there. So that, I mean, at least like there's something evocative about that word. <laughs> right. And I've been using it on um, my personal computer, uh, my my personal laptop, as uh, just to understand how it's working. Does it help me with my workflow or not? And for the most part, I'm finding myself like actually enjoying it. There's a few things that I would like to say, like, oh, well, the UX here could be improved or or what have you. Um, sometimes it has funkiness when it comes to uh, doubles or multiple displays and. And dealing with all that. But for the most part, I've been happy with it. Um, but like, there's yet another kind of spot where it could, wouldn't it be cool if this could integrate into that, that trifecta focus modes. Um, and, and the other stuff that you mentioned is quite frequently, all of these things I need to be doing are, are around the concept of a stage. I've got a, a certain amount, certain applications that I need to do a certain workflow, um, they all need to be, you know, collected together in this, in this, this stage, they need to, um, be activated, loaded with certain documents or what have you. And it feels like that, you know, if you could, if I could tie like a focus mode or something like that into controlling all of these things, like you could have a focus mode maybe for writing or for podcasting or for performing, you know, recording music and then just launch all of these things. And then when you're done, it could close them. And that seems like something that I'm kind of surprised Apple hasn't you know, managed to connect the dots on. But I will say, and I think we, we've talked about this before. um, I think we may have mentioned it in our end of the year one where uh, of things we wanted to explore. Um, But it's always been on our future topics list. um, This uh, application called bunch. Mm -hmm. um, And it's at bunchapp.co. And its author uh, should sound very familiar to anyone who is familiar with uh, Mac OS um uh, uh, he he's written uh, like marked and various other uh applications so Brett Terpstrad um and it's clear that that he has a passion for all of this stuff but um as i was reading through the documentation it, it occurred to me like this this is kind of this is really what it's trying to do is let me specify the work i'm doing now set all the stage define the apps that are running the documents that are loaded um, and it can do, you know, more than that. It's not just about loading apps, but 
um, and then clean up after yourself when I'm done with that workflow or what have you. And um, so I actually just started to play with that um, and definitely want to talk about that a little bit more. But it feels like this might be close, at least on Mac OS. I would love to have something similar on iOS. <laughs> um, mm. That's probably a bigger lift because uh, this is uh, this this relies on you know system events and and some of the lower level stuff, uh, or it can call shell scripts and the like. Um, but it feels like this is at least for now one one answer to that challenge. Um, and I'm I have not used it a whole lot, but I'm already imagining that oh, there's a lot lot here that that uh, a lot of potential. Yeah. Uh, so bunch, right? Um, bunch. Let, let's let me let me just uh, by way of just a quick summary of what it is. I'm going to read the little blurb from their website and just to uh, kind of set the stage, if you will, for that. And then uh, mm-hmm. kind of get into the weeds a little bit about like how this actually works or some things that you're either doing with it or want to do with it. So if you go to their website, it's a uh, bunch app dot co co. Um, it says, welcome to Bunch, your new favorite Mac automation tool. And I'll, I'll just read the first paragraph, but it says, uh, Bunch is a Mac OS automation tool that takes a folder of plain text files containing lists of apps and commands to launch and provides an easy to use menu for triggering them. So this is great, right? Like think about this, mm-hmm. like, a few of the things that we already talked about. We want a file to type in. These are plain text files. That's all they are. Mm-hmm. At the same time, an easy way to launch. Well, you can do it straight from the menu bar and presumably that would lead to the potential for doing keyboard shortcuts, I would imagine. Um, and yeah, it's just like a, a concise uh, syntax as well, right? You're doing yeah. lists of apps and lists of commands. And so, yeah, all of that comes together to um, presumably give us a way to do some of what you mentioned and, and probably more, right? But I think for both of us, it sounds like setting up uh, work context is front of mind. So mm-hmm. maybe that's like one of the first areas we'll talk about. Yeah. And I think um, it's the the way it phrases it there is is really critical is like it's it, it's a plain text file. And um, there's a paragraph below that of where it says it's intuitive syntax makes it easy to get started. Now, I will say up front when I was reading the documentation without <laughs> trying it, uh, the the word the, the word intuitive there um, doesn't feel right or no, didn't not feel at all. right. I'm, um, I'm looking at a script that I wrote about a month ago, and I was actually, that was going to be one of my pop quiz questions for you is like, what does it mean to have a carrot at the end of an app name? <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, so there's there's definitely some areas where um, I take issue with intuitive. On the flip side, having gone through it, um, I think um, maybe there's another word, uh, and I'm blanking on the exact word I would use there. Efficient maybe is the right way to do it is. I could do everything that that I could do in terms of like the script that I'm about to talk about. Um, and I'm sure the same about is for you. I could probably do all of that with a shell script, a mix of shell scripts and maybe some no JavaScript or, or some Python. I could do all of that work, um, but it would be a decent amount of code that I would have to troubleshoot that I would get wrong that um, is probably going to be fragile because the next scene that I want to create, the next stage that I want to build may look nothing like the one that, uh, that I have just built. So it's going to be pulling bits and pieces and, and trying to shoehorn things together. And 
um, you know, held together by with, with some spit and glue and, you know, not particularly what I want to be spending my time with. In comparison, here I have is a plain text file that uh, and an app that knows perfectly well how to launch apps, how to open documents, close them after the fact. I didn't have to write any of that code. I just had to give it a list. And there is there is some little bits in there of like, oh, OK, you need to know the symbol means that and so on. But it also means I didn't have to write 10 lines of JavaScript or 10 lines of Python to get it to do that. So I would probably say it, it is mostly intuitive until you start getting into what what does that carrot mean or what does a percent sign mean? Yeah, but it is highly efficient, um, which I do value because I didn't have to think about a lot of code. And in fact, the 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 stage that I wrote worked the first time I tried it. Like there was, I didn't have to do any debugging with this thing. It just did it. It did spawn a, a couple of, of ideas of, oh, I need it to do this. And then I was just able to go add it to the file and it was there um, versus having to write a lot of code and debug it. So um, it's, if you read the documentation, don't get scared away. Um, there is a lot of power here that I've yet to um, to to go into, but it is, if efficiency around automating your workflow is what you're after, I think it might be up your alley. Yeah, and certainly, yeah, that word intuitive, uh, it's it's interesting you called that out as well, because when I saw that too, I'm like, hmm. But intuitive is not really what I'm looking for here. I mean, right. look, I mean, I've come from a world where I was like writing at some point in my life, like a lot of Z shell scripts to mm -hmm. automate a lot of things on my terminal, like, or on my Mac in general. And, you know, so like, come on, like, this is this is going to be way more intuitive than that, for sure. But compared to like, if someone's coming from a world of like, oh, I'm used to doing things in, uh, you know, the shortcuts app, th this is, there's no version of the word intuitive no. <laughs> that this would qualify as. But this that's is okay. a step beyond. <laughs> yeah, so that but that's okay. This is like, you know, take a little bit of time to learn a tool mm -hmm. uh, that will save you all sorts of time or, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Lot, lack, lack of focus or, or whatever it might be. And you'll be well rewarded for that. So yes. if, if there's anything that, and I'm not sure if this is true for all bunch scripts, but just kind of looking at the ones that I have in front of me now, if there's one thing that would at least qualify as intuitive from my point of view is simply that like you can look at this and know in what order what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like in other words, it's just <laughs> this sort of like, you know, just Top follow to the bottom, list. just <laughs> yeah. follow the list. And since it is list now in the list, you may see characters like what is a double at sign, for example. Well, mm -hmm. look, you're not going to know what that is just by looking at it. But guess what? It, it's in the docs. And they're you good look docs. It up, look, yeah, they're good docs. You look it up once. And if you can remember what it is, um, then, then you're done with that forever. And if you forget, you can always fall back on the docs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not only are they... Um, good docs they have some like real life samples in there which is what i was able to just start building right off of so i mean all credit does go to actually reading through some of the docs to building being able to build a bunch script that worked on try number one um definitely read the docs if this is something that uh, anyone out there is interested in looking at because it it is invaluable in terms of knowing what to expect um but uh, the samples are also uh, great content. And yeah, to your point, like, oh, yeah, double at sign or percent sign in front of something you might not understand right off the bat. Um, but it is all spelled out there really nicely. And I think that's one of the things that 
um, it, when we're talking in terms of core competencies and like what the script is really great at or what this uh, app is great at is it is really great at launching things and control and managing those states and opening documents and things like that, which is perfect for what you need for a workspace manager. Um, and so the, the script that I, I just created, um, like not 10 minutes before our podcast, because this is one of the things that I wanted to automate. We have uh, a Zencaster instance. We have our shared notes. We have Safari is open to our Captivate instance. We might have our Messenger app. You know, there's several things running in the background of the, the podcast uh, session. And so I wanted to just have something that could launch all of those right off the bat. And so that's what I did is I created a podcast bunch um, and, um, it literally has right now a couple of apps in it. It ha it launches the notes app. It launches Safari, uh, with a link to our Captivate in instance, and it launches, uh, Microsoft edge, which, uh, points to our Zencaster instance. And this is one of the things that, um, for lack of, uh, uh for better or for worse, Zencaster does not work on Safari. So you either have to use Chromium or Chrome, Chromium, or or some variation on that. It might work on Firefox. I haven't tried, to be honest. Um, but for those cases, I just use Microsoft Edge on my machine. Um, it's it's Chrome enough that most sites don't complain. Um, and so, okay, so I'll just use, you know, this lets me launch everything uh, and get going with that in a hurry. And a lot of the documentations talk about, like, launching a, a document, opening a document in an app. And you, and to do that, you just have the app name on a, on a line all of its own. And then below that, you put a dash like a list and you give it the path to the document. And so what I wasn't clear on was, will this work for web addresses? Because um, it sounds like, uh, like if you just want to open a web address in the default browser, that's easy enough. Put it on its own line and it will just go use your default browser. For me, that's Safari, which means I Zencaster is not I don't want an opening with my default browser. And, but no, it works just like you would expect. I can have Microsoft Edge on its own line and then a dash below that with a link to, to our recording studio. And it just opens it right up. Um, I don't have to worry about uh, uh, closing like a default browser down. It just, it goes straight to Microsoft Edge, which is really, really cool. And then there's another bit is, okay, so if that keeps happening or I use Edge for certain other things, I'd like it to clean up after itself. Like I don't need a lot of tabs hanging around an edge because I don't use that for my daily driver. This is just specific for certain things that require it. So there is a special little incantation dash capital X, capital X. And this tells the app, oh, if you're already open, close everything else down, like close all open documents because we're focusing on this one thing at this point in time. Um, and so that clears it all out and, 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 uh, if Edge was running and I had other tabs, it would just close everything down and start up this loan session. So I can kind of treat Edge like it's this app around Zencaster rather than it's, you know, it's my daily driver. Now, if it were my daily driver, I wouldn't want it to close all my other tabs. So this is something that you have to use with, with care um, because you don't want to close things down that you don't want to keep. Um, but to that point, for example, um, because Safari is my daily driver, there's this other command that you can run this other special character and it's a percent sign and it says, okay, I'm going to launch or open an app with this thing, but I'm not going to close it down when you switch modes. And that's the important thing around that I've been trying to wrap around in my head with bunch is that. 
these literally are stages. So you're coming on stage, you're going off stage, and you bunches made to do things at both of those um, edges. And so ideally, it will clean up after itself. So if you specify Microsoft Edge in your script, when you're done, it will close Microsoft Edge. But sometimes you might not want it to. So like if I have Safari open all the time, no matter what stage I'm in. So I don't want it to kill Safari for me. I just want it to open a new page. Well, you can use a percent sign in front of the app name and that will say, go ahead and launch it if it's not running. But if it is running, don't do anything to it. Don't try to close it down when you when you switch stages. Um, so that's already the first symbol that I've started to use is percent sign. And I just realized um, before we went on air that there's a couple of ones where uh, where you mentioned like, what in the world does a carrot mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to start using a carrot because um, if you look at the docs, my understanding is that carrot says come to attention. So on Mac OS, if an app is running and it's in the background, it may not just automatically come to the forefront just because you told it to open a document or load a web page. Um, and for example, I wanted it to have notes loaded, which is where we do our show notes. Um, and because notes was already running in the background, it didn't do anything. It was just sitting back there. And it's like, did it not work? No, it, it was there. It just didn't bring it to attention. And so my understanding is that carrot is one of those things that says, Hey, if you're already running, actually pop to the foreground. Got it. Okay. And I think the reason that I found myself coming to that one specifically was, uh, let's see. So I'm looking at the default. To, the, so bunch comes with like this uh, lengthy. Well, it's not like crazy long. It's about a hundred lines. Um, it's like an example script mm-hmm. that it'll tell you, um, kind of show you a handful of tricks or whatever. But one of the first things that, or the first thing that it does is use the double at sign. So at, at, mm-hmm. and it says you can use double at to hide all visible apps, um, usually used at the top of a file before launching the rest of the bunch. So, Hide is one of those features that has been in macOS forever, I think. But I suspect maybe not a lot of people really use it much. Uh, and I am included in that. So <laughs> Me when, too. Yeah, so if you hide a window, right? So like, unlike Windows, for example, where like the, the whole app instance and the active document or whatever you're working on, like that all is its own sort of little bubble, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe that very well because I'm so I've always just I'm used so Mac. So attached to the Mac world now, yeah, yeah. So like, but like with Mac, if you close a window, most apps traditionally, but there are plenty of caveats to this these days. But most apps, like if if I were to close like one window of like Safari, that doesn't quit Safari. Right. Safari, the application process itself is still open, mm-hmm. and so, um, but. At the same time, I could also hide that Safari window and it just disappears. It's gone. Um, I don't even know if it does it. It doesn't minimize it either. Right. It's just like, um, let me try which, it. Which tends to be one of the reasons why I don't use it a whole lot, because it feels like an easy way for me to forget about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's it's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> it's like, because you're like, where did, where, did, where did the thing that I was using go? Yeah. So um, it looks like under. Uh, well, I'm kind of doing this in the fly here, but. Uh, under the the application menu, it looks like um, of any given application, right? So like if you're in the notes app, for example, you just like click on notes, drag down, you're going to have like the traditional about notes and mm-hmm. settings and all that kind of stuff. And further down, you're going to have some options that say like hide notes or hide others. So that command H, right? Hide mm-hmm. notes. If you click that, it just disappears. It's not minified or anything else. The app is still running. Your document is still there. It's just hidden. So how do you get it back? Um, 
I don't know exactly. <laughs> you can click on the app icon. That's what I usually do, but I'm, yeah. there may be other ways. But so when we're thinking about focus, though, how you manage all the stuff that you already had open is really critical, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, to like you said a minute ago, if you're going to do something with Safari, chances are you don't want Bunch to just like nuke everything that you have had in Safari because no. like it's probably like you're 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 sort of like the last two weeks of things you've been doing are longer, right? And, mm -hmm. and so you need to be able to get back to that. Well, what are some things you could do? Well, you could hide all active windows, right? That means mm -hmm. they're not dead. Um, you haven't closed them out or anything. You can get back to them if you need. But for this given instance, because you've hidden it, now you can create like a new Safari window just for the thing you're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so the there's definitely like, and I'm super like, like, I'm glad that there is this example script included by default. Like it comes with like, don't run it blindly, go in and edit it. And in fact, the menu item says edit first, um, because it's probably not going to service your particular workflow, but it does give you some already some good first practices in terms of, oh, well, if you're really working on a stage environment, well, maybe you want to hide everything else first, then you can tell it the things that you want to load. And then you can start to be specific about, you know, like there's a spot in this example where it's even going so far as to describe the tabs that it should open in Finder. So to have your 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 uh, your filing system all set up, which is like one of the next things that I'm going to automate because for editing the podcast is different than recording the podcast. Mm -hmm. And that means I'm, I need to have Fission up and running to 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 cut up all the the, the, the sections but I also typically need to have a couple of things running in Finder, like one for where I'm storing the drop the, the folders, one where some of the outro content lives, another one in terms of wherever you know this thing got downloaded to in the first place, because uh, Zencaster is gives it to us as a download. And so, like being able to specify these just as, oh hey Finder, open up these tabs uh and be done with that versus me having to figure out how do you know even me writing apple script to tell finder to open up these paths would be far more effort than what i've gotten these like three little bulleted items like i don't have to debug that all i have to do is make sure i get the paths correct um so it's it's just that approach of like you know not even 30 seconds to success in some of these cases it's like you know, maybe 10 seconds, assuming you can, how quickly you can type and execute this thing that has been like, I can already see, like, this is going to be incredibly useful for setting up all sorts of my stages, like editing podcasts. I have another one where it's, uh, I use an app called piano tech to do where I practice, uh, on piano. And it's a, for anyone who's interested, it's a virtual instrument that emulates a piano, uh, multiple pianos, in fact, uh, using modeling rather than samples. And I have a specific workflow that I want to have set up there is like open, open the app, set up my audio interfaces in a correct way. And Bunch has commands for doing that, like setting the volume at a certain level. What's the input and the output audio solution or, or audio device that you need to use? What other apps do I have running at the time? Maybe some sheet music app and, and the like, and being able to, to, to pass all of these things in just a little, just a little script here of, text file of commands of, of application names. And they're the application names you see, like it's like to, to launch Microsoft edge. I didn't have to go find where it lived in application folder and, you know, 
if I were doing this with bash, I would have to figure out like, Oh, I need to go into to the applications bundle contents, Mac OS, Microsoft edge dot, whatever, and launch it that way. Like I don't have to do any of that. It's just the name of the app. And it, it went and found it for me. Um, so these are some of this, these things around how it's very much tuned to opening and closing applications and loading documents I'm finding is really, really nice. Um, and I could have probably accomplished this podcast script um, in not a whole lot of time. Um, it's it's not difficult to do this with a shell script or what have you, but it would have been thought. And I really didn't have to think about it here, um, which I th- think is so cool. But it's not just about launching apps. There's a whole section in here, um, if you look at the documentation, of commands. And like I said, it has commands that can deal with the audio interface. So like you could set the volume or you could set which device is your input and output device. Um, there's also commands in here for setting your theme, like dark mode, um, displaying content, which I definitely want to get into. Like it, it displays like a little floating window on your desktop. That could be an HTML file. Like I, I can imagine there's some really cool things about that one. Um, and there's, there's just some really cool things. And there is a command for interacting with shortcuts. So if you have shortcuts defined, um, this, the bunch can actually interact with them and turn them on and off too. And in fact, that is a workaround for the new focus modes because there was a command in bunch mode to that, that to directly set direct, do not disturb mode. Um, which is something that I wanted to add to this podcast because it's always one of those steps of, oh, I'm when we're going into record, I need to remember to go turn turn my focus mode to do not disturb. Yeah. Um, because my normal focus mode is kind of do not disturb, but it would still allow certain things through. And I want to make sure that that everything is off. And if you're on an older version of Mac OS where focus modes weren't introduced, it's just as easy as like saying set a... a uh, D&D on and D&D off, like really easy commands to 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 trigger in, in your bunch. But Matt, Apple changed that when they added focus modes, right? You have a lot more control over the kinds of things that you can uh, uh, turn on and off. And evidently they changed that changed how um, you have to interact with it from an automation perspective. So there is a there is a, a line in here. If you go into the help documents under commands, and you look at the do not disturb commands, they're still documented and they're still useful on um, machines, versions of Mac OS that, that this works on. But he, uh, Brett is kind enough to have a link and say, if you use focus modes, you need to do this. And there's another entire uh, little document that describes, okay, if you really want to do this with focus modes, set up a shortcut that turns your focus mode on and off in the shortcuts app. And then this one, a uh, bunch can go talk to the app and and turn those on and off for you. And so that is the one that is one big learning that I that I've already took taken away from here is like, okay, I because I focus modes on all my devices, I can't use the DND on and off, but I can tell it to go, hey, run the shortcut that turns my do not disturb on and off. And it seems to work like uh, work like a charm. Oh, well, wow. yeah, I'm uh, I'm struggling to not just think of all the possibilities with this one. <laughs> so, yeah, that's super interesting. So in other words, like just to make sure I'm understanding right. So when you say make a shortcut, like you go into the shortcuts, shortcuts app, app yes. and create like in this case, it looks like he uh, I'm looking at the and we'll have this in the show notes. But there is a document on uh, Mac OS focus modes mm-hmm. in the bunch documentation. 
and he added like what looks to me like they're probably maybe for the sake of demonstration like a work mode on and work mode off but each mm-hmm. one of those would be like a a shortcut, a shortcut. yes okay so you you can probably imagine i bet there's a way to make one that's like just toggle work mode in i feel shortcuts. like there has to be a way i yeah. have not yet tried that yet i'm pretty sure you can because I, I i've done just enough of shortcuts recently that i think it's capable of that much um so like if it's on turn it off if it's off turn it on kind of thing mm-hmm. but either way this is really neat so um yeah that's super interesting because i'm i am finding that focus modes uh for the reason you just stated like are becoming more valuable to me in a lot of interesting ways that i maybe have only just scratched the surface of but one of them is like look for a podcast yes when we're recording i have headphones on so focus modes mostly to help me focus on the conversation as opposed to like random text messages coming right. in or something <laughs> but like um when we do uh coding live streams at work i, I typically don't wear headphones mm-hmm. and so i actually need uh the um the to make sure that like not all the noise is coming in right from right. slack from yeah gmail from text messages from whatever else might want to interrupt me mm-hmm. so being able to toggle those in a smart way from a bunch um you know they're, they're easy enough to toggle manually if all you need is the focus mode but you can imagine a scenario where um i don't know um i'm trying to think if this would be bi-directional right that's one of the things i was thinking of is like so with bunch would it would it make sense for me to have the bunch trigger the focus mode or can I have a bunch that is, is bunch capable of being triggered based on a focus <laughs> mode a change? Interesting question. I don't know the answer to the the second one. I haven't tried it because the same kind of thought occurred to me is like, Oh, could I have a focus mode that I switched to that then would trigger all these other things, including a lot of bunches. Yeah, that would be awesome. Definitely worth exploring in particular. These are more about bunch triggering a specific focus mode. So if you had additional automations or shortcuts attached to that focus mode, all of those would start to kick off too, because now you've switched which focus mode you're in. So this is at least half of that direction. It feels like there's gotta be a way to support the other side. If there is, it's not, not, not immediately obvious to me, at least with the documentation I'm currently aware of, but it feels like there's gotta be a way to do that. Okay. Yeah. I think that, so <laughs> it's interesting, right? Cause you mentioned, uh, exactly what I, one, one of the things I had in mind, which is like, okay, so if I trigger a focus mode from a bunch focus modes, then triggered, which is set in settings. Mm-hmm. And then I have a shortcut that also like, because I did that or like, no, it wouldn't just be a shortcut. Right. So follow me down this <laughs> disturbing trail if you if you dare um so bunch aside for just a second right like mm-hmm. one of the things that i'll do uh with my uh morning journaling i have a focus mode for that and when i trigger that f- a, a specific focus mode that there's an automation that gets triggered that then runs a shortcut so Rube Goldberg machine already. And then if I want to put bunch on the front of that, like, I guess one of the things that, you know, I want to get to is I'm, I'm okay reaching out to things as needed to do parts of the work. What I don't tend to favor is when it kicks off a chain reaction that never bubbles back up to the main line. Right. You know what I mean? So in other words, like if bunch is going to be the entry point, I can buy into that. But I just 
worry a little bit about like okay so you trigger the bunch that triggers the focus mode that triggers the automation that triggers the shortcut <laughs> and at what point like you know again uh, that setting stuff like up like this is never as hard as trying to remember what the hell you did seven months later right. when something in your life has changed it's like oh i don't use that to do app anymore mm -hmm. so how do the system keeps looking for it because all my automations are trying to trigger it yeah. which automation tools did i bury you <laughs> all know, of this stuff in? yeah in, in, exactly so like uh, you know uh, again like to me to me if 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 bunch is that sort of like main backbone great. I just want one. I, you know, and I'm not saying it has to do everything, but I want like, when I kick some work out, I want that work to immediately come back and yes. then follow, you know, follow just like the I, I would, probably like I would do hopefully in a, in a coding project as well. Right. Is like, not just kind of like, yeah, continual chains off into infinity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be just, it would be a, um, a practice that that you would have to adhere to your like there's nothing in bunch that's going to force you force you to do this yeah but i would say like to 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 your point like i agree and this is this would be one reason why i'd love to see bunch on uh, on like the mobile devices too is like i i like this idea of just being able to put things in a text file give it to it and it, and it works it's a it knows how to clean up after itself um, and so like for me, I probably wouldn't be passing on a lot of work to a shortcut. I'm using shortcuts because it's the way to set the focus mode. Um, but I probably wouldn't want to have then the change in focus mode, then fire off a lot of other things that included calling back into bunch or other, other things, because now, now what's, you know, there's a lot of chain things there. There may be a lot of unexpected or, um, uh, behaviors depending on, on when I wrote those shortcuts. Um, now I am not a huge shortcuts user, so I don't have a lot of those things to to think or or to rethink. Like maybe if I had a lot of shortcuts built already, then I might have to think, well, maybe how do I pull them back into Bunchland or something like that. Um, but um, I don't have that issue because um, my short <laughs> the number of <laughs> shortcuts I have, most of them are example play things in terms of. Oh, I'll play with shortcuts and then quickly get frustrated with its limitations from the from a couple of years back, um, and give up on it. Um, so it's easy for me to start that practice or to enforce those those guide guardrails of here's where I'm going to do automation, here's where I'm not necessarily going to do a lot. Yeah, for for shortcuts for me that was really like a like I said earlier, like about a month ago or at the beginning of the year, I was like, you are going to sit here and figure this out. <laughs> Whether it's painful or not, and it will be painful, but okay. Yes. So then, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not super deep into it, but I think that's one of the things like going into like trying to adopt bunches is that, sorry, bunches, bunch, <laughs> bunch. Uh, that I want to be mindful of is just, again, like not having a spaghetti of automations yeah. all over the place because, you know, I mean, look, these things can... They can be super helpful. They can also turn pretty ugly if you're not careful mm -hmm. about what you're doing. Um, like right before we pod got on the podcast, like I was like, oh, hey, I forgot what this bunch does. And I just clicked it. <laughs> and thankfully, it didn't quit Chrome, but it like basically quit <laughs> every other app. Yeah, it was it was. Yeah. And Chrome's like how I have us set up for recording on my side. So, um, yeah, I think one one thing, you know, I almost want to do a check in at some point on this mm -hmm. just to see if you and I have taken a, a further like pass it at doing some interesting things because like the only script I have to talk about with bunch right now that I've done was very similar to yours, which is like 
I'm going to do like, I, I do a thing in the morning where I go through all of my quote unquote inboxes, which is just like wherever work could be kind of like mm-hmm. stacking up in different places. And it's, it's always a lot, right? So a lot of things to launch every day and look at. And so I just, you know, that's a very clear and cut like uh, use case for bunch. Yeah. So I built one that did that and it does it uh, just fine. So, um, but I think I could get further into maybe doing some more interesting things with it, especially around some of the commands and uh, again, where focus modes come yeah. in. I just like, the possibilities are endless. The danger is also is, is lurking awesome. within. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that's where like, um, like I've already got a few ideas um, in terms of like how I do music production, um, how I do um, switching between, you know, various forms of like editing a podcast or what have you. So I'm definitely going to, con- to pursue that. Um there's definitely more power that I would like to explore. I haven't really come up with huge use cases for yet. Like it can do some conditional logic, which is cool. That's amazing. But um, haven't dug into that yet. It can also, um, because it is trying, you know, being an automation tool, it can do those things where if it's not, um, if it's not made to operate, like, for example, let's let's imagine that um, it's got a fairly limited set of audio capabilities um, in its command set. If you needed more, what would your options be? Well, it could call out to Apple Script, um, it could call out to Shell Script, or you know any of the other automation solutions that you have on your system. So you could p- conceivably um, leverage multiple automation systems together, which could be either good or bad in terms of, you know, remembering where all these things live and what they do. I did see one particular example in here where it was the file was a mix of both bunch and Apple script. And you were able to say, Hey, the kind of like in, um, like in Z shell where you can do a long echo and say that at the end of this, you know, uh, to this point is the stuff to print out, but then continue your, your code. You can do that with a bunch. And so at the very bottom of the bunch was like this one Apple script command that bunch didn't have any commands for, but it's still within the same file, which I thought was nice uh, to be able to co-locate some of these things. So there may be some spots where in terms of how I want to configure my recording interface session, um, usually that involves a trip into like the audio, audio and MIDI setup tool to do a few things, which I'm hoping I'm assuming at the moment is Apple scriptable. Um, I don't actually know 100% if it is, I hope so. Um, but if the default audio input commands by a bunch are not sufficient, then that's probably going to be my next step. But I like the idea of being able to co-locate all of those. So that it's not like turning into a bunch of scripts in random places that kind of your fear with shortcuts might be doing things. I can still at least keep them all in nice one, one script all co-located together. So I'm definitely going to explore that because it's 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 not a chore to set up a recording session, but just like with podcasts or your 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 the start of your day, there's enough things to do that you know five minutes later now you're finally getting into playing or recording because you had to start everything or you had to configure your your volume correctly or what have you. So I am looking forward to trying that. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in in checklists. And then once you establish a checklist for something that you do over and over again, 
the next logical question uh, is what parts of this don't require a human. Right. And that leads you into a tool like this. I just want to, you know, so, you know, reimagining your checklist in your head every day is like one of, you know, it's just error prone, but also more probably more mentally taxing than people might recognize when Mm -hmm. you're doing it over and over again. So, um, you know, we, I thought maybe like kind of towards the end here, just kind of do a quick grab bag of like interesting like buckets of features if someone's following along with this and they're like, cool, so all of this and I can launch a bunch of apps, neat, I guess. Mm-hmm. But this actually can do a lot more. And, you know, we yeah. talked to, we did talk about app launching and, and controlling apps. Also some things about commands uh, and their, you know, conditional logic. Uh, but in addition to that, like if you're just like kind of even looking, you know, through the docs at different things, like, uh, you know, there's, there's options for interactivity when your script runs. So you can like do like a multiple choice and it'll give you a little <laughs> pop-up or something. I didn't touch that yet. Yeah. <laughs> it can do keystrokes, uh, probably not, uh, maybe in the realm of something like a, a keyboard maestro or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be, you know, some overlap with that kind of tool and, and what bunch does in, in some cases, but you can, you know, register keystrokes. Um, you can launch other bunches from your bunches. Uh, so again, get, get into the chain of things that you can do. Lots of cool stuff with the opening websites and URL schemes. Um, but there's also like uh, lifecycle things that you can do about like running something on close, running something like um, or doing startup scripts and the like. Mm-hmm. One thing I wasn't aware of until we sat down, I just kind of like as we were talking, looking through, you can do spotlight searches through a bunch script, which I'm sure there's a really good reason for doing that, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to, I mean, again, that's just me. Uh, Spotlight for me is like one of those things where it's like a, <laughs> mostly an app launcher, if I'm honest. So to, uh, yes, to be fair. And I, and I get annoyed with it quite frequently when it's actually trying to do what its original job is and surface me files that have that phrase in it rather than the app. I, I did that just before we started recording. Um, I was looking for shortcuts, right? So I just typed in the word shortcut and it thought for a second, gave me shortcut.app. And then the real spotlight stuff kicked in and it's like, oh, you have files with the word shortcut in them. Therefore, mm. I should show them first. And so by the time I had gone to clicking, I launched uh it it was somewhere in the settings app, something related to to I think it was keyboard shortcuts. Which, okay, fine, great. I, I appreciate that. But I was really after the app. <laughs> yeah, no, that stuff happens all the time. It's so tricky, isn't it? To get, I mean, from a UI... To get that right. Build, building that so hard and you're doing these async operations. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. Um, I Yeah, so my guess is that there are people in the universe who use their Macs to create lots of like written documents mm-hmm. that aren't code. And then, <laughs> which I... <laughs> Now that I say that out loud, I'm like, as if, yeah, of course that's the case, right? <laughs> so like for folks like that, like, yeah, th- this is probably like super useful. Um, for me personally, like, th- I guess that's what I was reacting to is mostly like, I use Spotlight primarily as an app launcher mm-hmm. and as a mini calculator. And and that like, if I just need to do some basic arithmetic, I'll just do it there sometimes. <laughs> and uh, that's really it. Like, I it, never do I need to search text in a bunch of documents via my OS because I mean I feel like yeah. you're probably similar but like a lot of my documents aren't really kind of in the OS file system anyways like right. they're written ones they're like yeah. in a Google Drive maybe they're in like a Dropbox which I guess is probably local I don't know but then there's like all the iCloud stuff which is like kind of split up in your system uh, file system and in different 
weird ways. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like that, I, 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 I'm not sure that I ever find that useful to be honest uh, myself, but again, like everybody uses their computers in different ways. That's why we yep. want these automation features <laughs> so that we can wield it. So like what, what sounds like a feature that I probably wouldn't do much with is something that's probably a lifesaver for lots of other folks. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, it is quite broad in terms of a lot of the areas that this works with. Um, and I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be any surprise, right? It is an automation tool, but like, as you go through there, there's stuff in terms of interacting with like better touch tool. If you use that app, um, uh, things like keyboard maestro, like comes up here, um, Raycast or Alfred, like I use, uh, I, I have used those quite a bit, although typically I end up with spotlight just because the number of use cases that I'm using those tools for is mostly around app launches slash fancy calculator. Um, but it's kind of <laughs> cool that all of those are there. Uh, one that's interesting to me is Moom, um, which I typically use for a lot of my window management. Well, it's kind of cool that this has uh, an example. Granted, it's using a little bit of Apple script to do it, but you can set it up so that you could have, and this is something I'm going to try, is get everything arranged in a particular format for like a podcast session or, you know, where I have one window on one monitor, a couple others on the other, or my recording sessions typically have my monitor, my app set up on different screens. And so I like the fact that there are real life examples here of, you know, okay, commonly along with just launching an app is making sure that your workspace is configured properly. Here's how you do that. Um, which is, which is super cool. Um, there's another one in here that I've been itching to explore um, ever since I got my mom, a Stream Deck. And I have to be careful with that because Steam Deck and Stream Deck are way too similar. Wait, did you um, say, sorry, I'm parsing that sentence. You said you got your, you, you got your a Stream Deck for your mom. I got a, I got a Stream Deck for my mother um, because she is doing uh, art lessons on YouTube. Oh. And, um, and I can, I'll definitely sh- put the, put the link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but we have, you know, we, we, we got the setup for where there's a a camera for recording the actual work, you know, it's pointing down at the desk, her iPhone can record her, her, uh, her, her uh, profile. So you can have a picture of her while, while she's doing it. And it's overlaid using OBS, which is a great, uh, a little bit challenging to use sometimes a soft piece of software, but it's great that it's free. Um, and then we also have, um, OBS configured to show like the final version of the project. So you can like see what, what, what you're working on, what it's going to end up looking like and, um, got her a stream deck because, um, it, it is when you're doing art and your computer is your video monitor. So checking to make sure that you're in frame and all that stuff, the keyboard is a good distance away for triggering scenes in OBS. And okay, fine. Maybe you could have your mouse sitting off camera and you can navigate that. Well, it's still a good distance away um, in terms of a 13 inch monitor, tiny pixels with a tiny target point of switching scenes. And of course, now you're going to record the mouse click, all that jazz. So I looked online, Stream Deck immediately came to the forefront of a way. It's just a little device that you can set off to the edge. It basically is kind of emulating. uh, It's a fancy keyboard almost. Um, but it has a row of buttons on it. You can control uh, the images on the buttons. And when you click one, uh, it can switch scenes for you. It can start and stop recording. Like it's it's another whole automation thing that maybe we should talk about. 
because uh, in, a, in a future episode, because there are ways it, it's, it's more than just controlling like a piece of uh, um, recording software, right? It that's what we're using it for, but you could use it for music. You could use it for launching apps on the system. And there's actually a page on here for integrating bunch with your stream deck workflows. So there's, you know, you could, and, and I've been thinking about doing this for myself is like, having a nice little visual indicator with, you know, at a press of a button to go from scene to scene to scene, from stage to stage to stage that of what I'm working on, being able to press that and configure everything would be nice. I don't particularly want to do that through the software that controls the Steam Deck or the Stream Deck. It's nice enough, but it has some of the same issues like that we run into with shortcuts is like you you hit the wall pretty quickly and it's not typing or anything like that. But now that I see this in bunch, it's like, oh, Maybe that maybe my reality is coming to pass as I can have a set of these scripts, have a stream deck sitting right there that I can just press a button and say, go run this script and configure all the stages for me. And what I really love about it, especially for like when you're doing video recording, is you can just, you know, it's it's over there. It's nice and silent. It's not making loud clicky noises like a keyboard or a mouse might. Um, but it is a visual reminder. So like it can track you're in the current, this current mode. And so you have two versions of uh, an icon for each button. So the on, on state and the off state. So now you can just, it's a little visual reminder of what mode you're in as well. So I'm getting really excited about trying that one. I've been looking for an excuse to buy one for myself. Um, this might have just done it. <laughs> so I, I've been trying to actively avoid buying one of those. <laughs> and, I, and I think you've just uh, totally... <laughs> Foiled my plan. So I have uh, actually I use uh, is, is, is a company called like Elgato. Elgato. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the cat, uh, I guess um, I have their audio interface. Like that's what I use. Um, mm -hmm. They've got like a little one. It's just like one big circle or uh, dial that you turn up and down for your game. Oh, yes. And that's basically it. And it sits on my desk and, it, and it's got like a nice little uh, uh, sort of touch sensitive mute button that I, I just had to use a second ago when my daughter came tromping through the room uh so uh I, I really like this machine i've i've had it uh since sometime in the fall when i kind of upgraded audio equipment uh, mm -hmm. with the mic and everything and um i'm impressed enough by it that i've been thinking about the stream deck for a while but i'm like don't do it and now i hear wait but this is like a new thing i could fidget with from right Bunch. Okay. Yes. yes. Maybe I do. Maybe yes. I. Okay. And and, and that that absolutely has to be a follow up uh, discussion or podcast of how to how to how do these actually interact with each other because it's been kind of the same thing I've been thinking about is like the possibilities could be really useful for simplifying you know simplifying those context switches of the tear down tear up of my workspace. Um, it's not that any of that is hard, but it adds up over time. And so like, if I can just do that with a button, I'm here for that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Well, a uh, bunch is like, I'm glad we got to this one. I was wondering if this would be a thing that uh, we'd kind of just have on our list for a long time <laughs> and never quite get to. Uh, but I think this is like a, a nice one to, to dive into. And mm -hmm. it's kind of given me a little um, new motivation to maybe move this up a little bit higher in my stack of, uh, or my list of things to to play around with in my spare time. Yeah, I'm. Granted, I I have not delved into it to the to its deepest levels. Probably won't. Um, there, I I I don't 
haven't discovered a whole lot of use cases for some of the the finer grain stuff, but already I can see it taking um, solving a lot of my use cases where I'd have to go into a little bit of code, try and debug it and figure all that stuff out. And the reason it hasn't happened yet is because of that, right? It's like, I don't have a whole lot of brain space these days to figure that out. So having this kind of tool that makes it really easy to configure all my stages and clean up after itself um, is, is, is so cool. So I'm, I'm happy that we were able to add it to the list and I'm happy that we were able to talk through it and can't wait to see, uh, we'll definitely have to do a follow-up to see um, where, where, where it's landed in our workflows in the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is absolutely classic, right? Because like, there's all these, like we talked about different UI tools that you could be doing, but Hey, I'd rather be scripting. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'd rather be scripting. If you love scripting, terminals, Z shell, JavaScript development, and other random technology tangents as much as we do, we'd love to hear from you. You can always leave a review on your preferred podcasting platform, or you can reach out to us via the social links on our website, I'dRatherBeScripting.com. Until next time, I'd rather be scripting.